So welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, James Cooper. How are you doing, James? Very good, thank you. How are you? Warm. Yeah, just got a little (laughs) bit warmer. (laughs) It's the heating, I I think. I think so, yeah. So we are videoing this Hubcast and uh, in a new area of the office, not in our little Hubcast room. So it's great to be in the open. We have canvassed the community uh, and our client base, and we've asked them to ask us questions that we will answer live on the podcast. Um, so Scott is on standby behind the camera, and he's going to ask, answer, ask us questions, and we're going to answer them. Okay, dope. Ready to roll? Absolutely fine. Let's go. Scotty, on you. Question one. Question one comes from Daniel. What are the key factors for employee retention? Good question. Key factors for employee retention. There's lots, I think, is the first thing to say. Yeah. And let, let, let's start the, the answer like this. If you think about employee retention, you must first think about employee engagement. Does that make sense? Yes. If you can engage your employees and have them engaged in what they do, the retention will naturally be higher. So if I was to answer the question, I'll start to begin to answer that question like this is think about engagement, not retention. Retention is the byproduct of engaged employees. This is making sense. So I'd say right at the top of engagement for me um, is communication and leadership. I think that's the first facet for me. If you've got fantastic leadership who are communicating effectively then team members become more engaged, which that means that you stand a greater chance of retaining them, which is probably why everything we do at T2 is around leadership, right? Yeah, I think I think also knowing who you've got in the room and who's in your teams, so actually informing and actually caring about what people, not necessarily what they do on a daily basis within the workplace, but things that are outside of the workplace, not to a point where you're invading people's privacy, but actually... Do you know who's in your team? Do you know the type of personalities you've got? Well, you've hit on another point that I would probably would would, would settle into there, which is around understanding people's true purpose. Yeah. And I think as well as having number one great leadership and communication, if you understand what makes people tick, mm. what their purpose is, what their motivations are, what challenges they have in their personal and professional life, then you've got a better chance of communicating in a way which lands well with them, if that makes sense. So I think there's two facets there that we've answered the question already. Number one, great leadership and communication. Number two, that only occurs if you know, understand what that person's, person's purpose and drivers are. Yeah, definitely. I think another uh, key aspect of engagement which leads to retention, and this comes out in all the surveys and the stats, is people need a career path, a progression plan, yeah. a development plan. Because nobody wants to, re- not many people want to remain static in a role or in an organization. So it doesn't always mean, by the way, that they want to rise up the ladder to be, you know, the next director, but they need some type of path. And that might be mm. you can develop new skills, you can move around the organization, you can move up a position, you can take on a team, you can take on a department, become a specialist, as long as they've got a direction of travel, which says, if I do A, B, and C, that's what what's next for me. That's what makes people hang around longer. And I think I think that just to sort of tail off that one as well, Martin, as well, is in, in relation to sort of feedback. So when you've got people that are looking at trying to stay in the business, but actually not necessarily progress, like you say, but if you're giving feedback on what they do do 
really well and some of the things that they need a little bit of guidance or development on, then they go, actually, you care about me because you're trying to make me better at what I do rather than just going, oh, just do the job. Feedback is there's so a, important. There's a reason you're here. Yeah. Not only do I need a career path and I need to know what that if I execute upon what's expected to, of me, I can move forwards. Yeah. But that's going to take an awful lot of feedback. Yeah. You know, realignment, let's go again. Am I doing well? Am I on track? Which leads into probably the fourth or fifth point of, of answering this question, reward and recognition. Yeah. Without question, we know through our data and through the amount of teams we've worked with that human beings are, are motivated by really two core things. Away from survival, risk and pain and danger. We know that's hardwired in our evolution. Or towards pleasure and reward. Mm. And, and purpose. So organizations who drive a recognition culture and don't miss the opportunity to reward and recognize the efforts and achievements of their employees will make them more engaged, which in turn will increase retention. And you might be sat there watching this thinking, tick, we do that. Do you? Right? Mm -hmm. Do you? It's not always mm -hmm. the grand gestures I'm talking about here yeah. with reward and recognition. It could be a thank you. You know, it, it reward and recognition means different things to different people, but where it exists in abundance, when you create a recognition culture, that's what drives engagement and retention. I think some people think the recognition has to be, oh, we've got to go out and buy things for employees when really we've some of the companies that we've worked with and some of the businesses we work within, i.e. public sector and private sector, is they go, well, we can't do that because it's not in the budget because it's, for example, public money, for example. So do... How do you basically give recognition on that point then, Martin? It's a really good question. And I would say there's, yeah, th there's a lot of grand gestures out there, which includes things like commissions, bonus schemes, yeah. pay rises, five-star holidays at the end of the year for the winner's circle, mm. you know, and they're wonderful. I've worked for an organization where that's offered and it is amazing. But like you rightly say, sometimes you haven't got the budgets, the profits, the whatever it might be to invest in it. Mm. So reward and recognition needs to come subtly. And I think innovative organizations do things like they set up league, league uh, leaderboards uh, where it creates a bit of gamification and a bit of competitiveness mm. between employees. You know, if you finish top of the leaderboard, yeah. uh, you get a voucher at the end of it, something subtle yeah. or whatever it might be. It can be the all-hands call that you do every Friday at the end of each month where the CEO will be on that call, all employees on it, and they will pick, they'll give five awards out. You know, who's yeah. shown the best customer service this this month? Who's um, shown grit and tenacity this month? Who's shown the best forms of leadership? And yeah, you might say, are people really interested in a trophy or an award or a certificate for being showing a certain attribute? Well, it's not so much that. It's the fact that that senior person has elevated their status up in front of the peer group. It's a little bit of acknowledgement, right? Absolutely. And that means a lot to people with certain motivators. Mm -hmm. For many, it can be a thank you, a subtle thank you, because they don't like the big yeah. awards stuff and the big announcements. Yeah. So I think you've just got to get creative with it. One of the best organizations I've seen do it in the pandemic, which cost nothing, and it had the maximum impact, was letters to the kids. So a CEO um, come up with an initiative that said, we're going to send a letter and a £20 Amazon voucher to all of yeah. the kids of our employees. Yeah. And it was a personal letter that said, look, it's been tough. 
I'm asking your mother or father to work long hours at home. I know it's tough and I know it's a tough time, but I just want to thank you, um, you know, for, for, for helping us and helping your mother and father get through this period. Here's a 20 pound Amazon voucher. Yeah. And the amount of employees who wrote back to the organization, because that meant a lot that they'd thought of just saying thank you to the kids yeah. and, and offering a subtle gesture didn't cost a lot of money for that organization had maximum impact on social media. And it wasn't just for social media, but then people are looking into that organization going, that sounds like somewhere that I want to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think on reward and recognition, we could do a whole podcast on 100%. it, but it's a massive part of, of the answer to the question. We could talk all day about this, but to wrap this question off, I'm going to put one more thing in the mix, and I think it's important. And this is going to sound like a shameless plug, but it's not. I assure you that, but we'll take it if it is, which is training and development. You know, now more than ever, people have access to online tools, to podcasts, to TED Talks, to YouTube, whatever it might be. Self-learning can be done on the internet. Makes me laugh how organizations spend millions on a, a learning platform when you could probably empower your employees in the public domain. If they had the appetite to learn, they can. However, people want to develop their skill sets and they want to learn. And organizations who invest in that and who ensure that people have a true learning and development plan, whether it's internally or whether it's with an external source, that's what keeps people engaged because they're investing in me. They care about improving my skill set and experience. And just thinking on that, the number of people that don't podcast, for example, or when it's just some easy, quick little wins for you to go and get that little bit of information that then might spark that motivation to then go onto a course and then formal qualifications or whatever it is. But without that initial, I'm going to keep you in the business. Have you read this? Have you had a little look? Borrow that for a week. Get it read and come back to me. Let's have a chat about it. Yeah, it's important that we drive mm. a learning culture and people have a plan for development. Yeah. Uh, final thing I just throw into that question is flexibility. But what I will leave you with on that is it's not high up people's agenda as you think for another podcast. Mm. Question two, Scotty. Question two comes from Ian. How should leaders deal with personal performance caused by non-work-related issues? So how do leaders deal with underperformance or, or performance issues, uh, which is caused by non-workplace? So it's a personal issue. They're having trouble in the personal life or there's things going on outside of the workplace that's affecting performance. Now, this is quite common. Yeah. In, in fact, I'm sure if you dissected it, a large proportion of the reasons for underperformance would probably incorporate some type of personal challenge. Yeah, there's something going on, isn't there? We do lots of exec coaching, don't we, right? We do lots of exec coaching and almost always it goes beyond the primary reason they came in for. And we know firsthand that people are trying to forge a career and trying to, you know, do well for themselves and provide for their families or whatever the sense of purpose is. They're doing that whilst also trying to make a marriage work or be a father or mother to children. Yeah. You know, or there's it's a, complex, right? It does. Mm. And so personal issues do come into it. And I don't think leaders should be afraid of it. I think the question is, you know, how are they best being able to deal with it? Let me throw an analogy in there. And you might go, what you want about mine? But just hear me out on this, because this is how I explain it if I'm coaching. Let's look at a football team, right? Let's look at a football. Let's look at use a sporting analogy, a football team. 
if you're the manager and one of the players gets injured, right, you're not just going to keep playing them. You've got two options mm. with it. You are that the injury is not significant enough where you can just take them off the pitch onto the bench, give them a little bit of space and time, put somebody else in there to take the load, and then you'll integrate them in bit by bit until the confidence returns, until the injury improves, right? Let's say the injury is really bad and they just can't perform. You're not even going to put them on the bench. You're going to take them out the equation and wrap some support around them with the conditioning team, the physios, the rehabilitation side of things to get them back to the point where they can start getting in and performing. Now, the reason I use that analogy is because this scenario in business is almost never trek like that. What we do is we go, you've got to keep playing. You've got to keep playing keep going, keep and going, keep, going, keep going, going. And we'll somehow get through yeah. this and we'll have a few chats and we'll compartmentalize your problems. But I need 90 minutes out of you. And if you think about that, that's unsustainable. So the answer to the question for me is we've got to use that analogy of go it. We either have to assess if that personal issue that they are dealing with is either something that we just need to retract them from the heat for a short period, keep them involved, but take the weight, the workload and the weight off them and reintegrate at a later point. Or if it's big enough, we need to remove them completely, help them solve this problem yeah. to get them back on the pitch. However, what I'll finish by saying is, the expectation is, I need you back on the pitch at some point. Yeah, it can't just be you're out the squad. No, no, and that take as long as you want. Yeah. I, you know, at the end of the day, it's like we we're going to support this and we're going to take the right course of action. But the aim is to get you back to performance and on the pitch as quick as we can. Yeah, and if if I just add a little bit to that, little oh. bit of an analogy there is that if you was in the team, you wouldn't get the chef to diagnose the injury that's happened on the pitch. So what I'm trying to say is that you'd inform yourself and inform yourself of as much as you can about that person, about their situation so that you can understand. And people going, have you, have you asked the question? Are you understanding their problems hmm. rather than just assuming what's going on and saying, this must be it yeah. because that's not, that's so, not going to get you. Because the right, then you can the right signpost them yeah. to whatever the rehabilitation is yeah. that we need. Now, most of these incidents, what I will say, most of these occurrences with a good leader and a mm. good manager who have got high trust and rapport, all it will be is a coffee in a room, a safe space, yeah. and a half an hour download and just reset them. Because some of the minor, th different people deal with personal issues differently. I'm a person who never takes mine into work. Mm. I somehow have the ability, what we call in psychology, to compartmentalize it. When I'm at work, I'm at work and I'll deal with that outside of it. Some people don't no. operate like that. They have no choice but to bring it in and it consumes them. And that's fine. It's no right or wrong. No. People are just different. But sometimes it's about just being heard, understanding that you're not going to be judged, getting getting everything off your chest and then resetting and re-going again. Yeah. But if it's not just that and it is something that is troubling this person, what I would employ you is to apply that sporting analogy for a, if it's a small thing, let's remove them from the heat. Let's get some of the other team members to take up the load just in the short term, mm. wrap some support around them, reintegrate them back in. Yeah. If it's more than that and bigger than that, we maybe need to take them out the equation to wrap some rehabilitation around them, but with the sole aim of getting back on the pitch into performance as soon as we can. Great organizations do a job 
of catering for that and not doing the extremes, which is, and the two extremes is this. Yeah, I can really feel for you. I, I bet I can imagine that that's really troubling you right now. However, we need to crack on. We've got a job to do. Yeah. We don't want to be doing that, but we also don't want to be going, right, listen, you stay at home, take as much time as you need. Don't worry about it. There has to be that middle ground of assessment support, and we're going to reintegrate you back onto the field and into performance as soon as we possibly can. That's what the best organizations do. Question three. Question three comes from Liam. What makes the best leaders? How long have you got? Yeah, this could. Well, this is us, isn't it? But, do you know? Do you know what I say? It's a. It's a. I think it's a really good question, and it's not one that you can answer with a single answer. Mm. And I guess what I mean by that is. In all our time of working with leaders on what leadership is, the one thing that we have learned time and time again, and the one thing that we are know is there's one, no single answer to the perfect leader. Leaders come in all different forms, in all different styles, with different personality types and motivators, right? Different characters. And so nothing makes the best type of leader, Leaders just need to be the best version of themselves. Authenticity. Yeah. With a caveat. Go on. Because I think we can safely say this as well. So leaders can be the amiable leader, the compassionate leader, the visionary leader, the directive leader. You know, there's many different leadership styles depending on what model you look at. And that's wonderful. You've got to be the best version of that if you're going to be a good leader. Yeah. Um, however, where we find optimal performance occurring in any team is what we call the chasm of support of assertive leadership. Leaders who balance both the humanistic element of, I need people behind me, motivated and pushing in the same direction, but who also understand that we're here to deliver results and win. Yeah. Right? And it's it is a business, right? It is. It's yeah. accountability. We've got to get stuff mm. done because we can all be a wonderful family, but if we have no money coming in, it's not going to last long. Or we can have money coming in, but if we've got this constant churn and disruption in the family, it's not going to last very long. The chasm is where it is at. So what I would say to answer that question are the best leaders are the self-aware ones who understand what their authentic self looks like. Yeah. But they also understand their gap in terms of where they've got to step into to find the balance of supportive, assertive. And are willing to commit the energy to do that, right? Uh, yeah, because yeah, because it's not comfortable at times. Mm. I think I'm on the assertive side of leadership. I have no problem driving results, accountability, and, and and setting expectation of what we need to deliver. So to reach the chasm, I've got to be compassionate, empathetic, and make sure that the family are happy along the way. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. That's just knowing who I am and what my step into you know into the chasm is. Whereas you'll have a wonderful, amiable, compassionate leader who everybody loves working for, but unless they are willing to step into the chasm and start making sure people understand what's expected of them and driving outcomes, they're not going to be successful. No. They're going to be loved, but then the business is probably going to fail. Well, we've all bit. seen yeah. them leaders, haven't we? Yeah. They're like mates. Yeah. They're like friends. Yeah. Everybody loves them, but when they when they need to drive a, a tough message, they struggle. Nobody takes them seriously mm. because they've done that overcompensation on the relationship side of it. And I think that's why we talk about the chasm a lot. The bet, what makes the best leader? Who, who answered? Asked the question, Scott. Question came from Liam. Liam, if you're out there, whoever asked the question, 
what makes a great leader? It's those who are self-aware and they know what their authentic self is so they can be the best version of themselves. But they know their direction of travel when they're stepping into that chasm of supportive, assertive. That's where high performance occurs. Okay. We have one more question. So question four, this comes from Alex. What are your three top book recommendations for personal development? Top three book recommendations. I've had this question before, like... I've got four, but I can whittle it down to three if I, I really need to. I might have a chance to squeeze four maybe, in. Maybe, maybe. I... I got asked this at a conference on a stage once and it caught me off guard because I've got all these books in my head. I've read hundreds and I couldn't think of one. I was like, "Uh." you go first, James, while I have a think about this. Well, I think we've definitely got to put the chimp paradox in there. Correct. It'd be in my top three. Yeah, yeah. that's in the top three. Um, Me personally, I, I came through the process of actually putting a process in for myself in regards to management, and it was flow state theory by Mihai Chechen and Mihai. Um, try to say his name a bit quicker if you want. Mihai Chicksen Mihai. <laughs> I'll correct him on that. I was watching him <laughs> that, melt when he was, was saying it. that. And I've been that and going, nearly there. Good effort. Um, flow state. And then the final one was more of a more sort of personal for me in regards to the amount of time doing what, which was bounce. Bounce. Good book. Um, by Matthew Said. Matthew Said. He also did black box thinking, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, that's another one. Good books. Chimp Paradox has to be in there. It changed my life. Probably one of the catalyst books for all of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would I would also say firmly that my second choice would be Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. It was the book that really takes you on a chronological journey from the inception of Homo sapiens to today. Yeah. Like how we foraged the earth for millions of years. And then one day we discovered fire and our intestines shrunk and our brains grew. Wow. And then we started to um, innovate and build tools and hunt and farm and the rest was history. And so that really was a book that taught me about our journey, our evolution as a species. Then you read in The Chimp Paradox by Peters, who's talking to you about how the modern brain works on scanners. And you can see that the two marry up. Very marry well, up. Yeah. You can see that the reason the brain interacts the way it does is still fundamentally based on survival, reproduction, and purpose. And right. We've got to survive, we've got to continue our species, and we've got to have a, a role while we're here. That's evolved in the Book of Sapiens over... 2000 years but really over millions of years of foraging the earth so i think um them two books for me if you're going to read them read sapiens first and then the chimp paradox second i'll and have to get every, hold of sapiens i think everything makes sense mm. third one i could choose between around 20 books but i'm going to go with dan goldman's emotional intelligence dan goldman is a professor mm. and he is the pioneer of emotional intelligence and uh, it was the first book I read that really started to dissect into the four categories how our emotional intelligence, mm. how it's made up. And it was like self-awareness, situational awareness, relationship management. And it really dissects how emotional intelligence is either high, moderate, or low in a mm. human being and how that plays out in behaviors and relationships. The, the final one, that I, I'll stick my fourth one in there just in case, which is The Power of Moments by Dan and Chip Heath. Um, really was about that things aren't always going to be right. And when you do get something wrong or when businesses get things wrong, 
how do you react normally gives you the kudos that you carry as a business. It was re really blew my mind a little bit to think about big businesses such as Disney, for example, that are not actually planning on you having a perfect experience. Yeah. Which is mind-blowing. power of moments, yeah. Mm. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I think that covers it. Last question, was it? Awesome. Perfect. Enjoyed that, James. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's interesting. We'll have to do it once a month. You know, Go out to the uh, social media, ask for some question recommendations. We'll answer them and yeah. we'll post the video uh, afterwards. So with that, we'll wrap it up. James yeah. Cooper, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Martin Johnson. Thank you.